You're listening to the Tell Me More podcast. We're masters of international business students here at the Darla Moore School of Business. And each week, we're sitting down with students, professors, and experts in the business world to tell the stories that connect us around the globe. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Tell Me More podcast. I'm your host, Maggie, and I'm joined remotely today by our other host, Isha. Hi, Isha. Hey. Hey, and today we are interviewing our friend Aiden Galloway. Uh, Let me read her bio real quick before we get into it. So uh, Aiden is originally from Florida, but grew up in Tennessee for most of her life. Um, And she grew up traveling all over with with her family to the U.S., Europe, Mexico, the Caribbean. Um, And right now she is in our Master's of International Business program, studying uh, global strategy and leadership along with business analytics. Um, She got her undergraduate degree from USC um, in political science and global studies, and she was a business minor. Um, And so today we're going to be talking about the intersectionality of culture with human rights development in different countries. Uh, We're also going to be talking about Aiden's background um, in political science and how she doesn't have a business background entirely within this cohort. And then if we have time, we're going to talk about uh, her working remotely during our um our studies in the covid world and all the challenges that that might bring so hi aiden thank you for joining us today hi thanks for having me i'm excited so the first thing we're going to be talking about is the intersectionality of culture with human rights um so just to kick it off this is obviously a broad topic do you think you could tell us just a little bit about how you wound up getting interested in this um this topic Yeah, so um, as you already mentioned, uh, my background is in political science and global studies um, in my undergraduate career, and a lot of that was focused on um, international and then women's and children's rights. There's actually some really great courses in comparative politics that I took. Um, One one was on genocide um, in different countries and how that sort of occurs, and that goes into a lot of different human rights violations, obviously. Mm. So that really started my interest in the topic, and then throughout my travels, I traveled to China, Japan, and especially when I went to Southern African countries, you see a lot of movement towards that development and how they're using those people's own culture to really help that development occur. So that really led me to my thesis that I had to write because of the Honors College, which was about how culture really affects how women can take advantage of the economic and political situation they were born in. Mm. So I compared uh, South Korea and the USA, who follow very similar timelines of feminism, or what we in the Western um, community consider feminism, and how that really impacted the, the culture in those different nations impacted the ability of women to succeed in economic situations and in business. Wow. Why was it important to you to um, discuss women within your thesis? So I grew up um, a little differently than when I kind of had this weird transition where I really changed my passions. So I originally... And we'll talk about my non-business background. I wanted to do lawyer. I just wanted to do criminal law. That was my interest. And once I got to school, I started really getting into different human rights and politics. And that's why political science became much more of a passion for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by doing that, because I am a woman, I'm a cisgender woman, obviously, 
the word woman does not include just me as a cisgender person. Mm -hmm. Um, That really got me passionate about seeing all these different places and um, lack of rights that women have in these different cultures and different countries. Not that one country just has one culture, but that really got me really passionate that I was born into such privilege just by lieu of where and how I was born and how I identified that Mm -hmm. I really wanted to help other women even step up one or two levels in my future and what I want to go into. That's awesome. This might be jumping the gun a little bit here, but how do you think your business background and this MIB program, like where do you see this fitting into this topic of intersectionality between culture and human rights? I think one way, especially coming, being American and being raised in this very capitalistic free market economy, it really makes you see the impact that business can have, whether positive or negative, because we kind of let business have so much freedom here. So just going into business seeing, okay, yeah, business, if it's unchecked and have a lot of negatives on this development, they can take advantage of the local population, Um, of the environment, all these different things. But if the shareholders, the stakeholders all have the same sustainable development, protection of culture, human rights, women's, children's rights, then business can be a very positive influence because Mm -hmm. they are being, have those checks and balances that really can help those um, um, hurt populations or not as protected populations, they can actually be the turning point or the um, catalyst to help them get those rights. So mm-hmm. when I traveled with Dr. Rolf to South Africa, the South Africa, Mozambique, and Eswatini, the name just changed. It used to be Swaziland. The king just changed the name. I don't know what's happening there, but it's <laughs> Eswatini now. Um, we actually met with this local business who is basket weaver and a lot of their contractor and the people they hire are women a lot of times single women and just that business has helped raise a lot of women out of uh, economic troubles and given them a lot more independence and help them care for the children that in a way they might not have been able to before and that's just one example I love that and uh, you know one thing within feminism and like just supporting women um, economically, it's like better things happen. I've heard this quote before um, from the CEO of LFS, which is a female-centered financial investment group up in New York. Um, but she said, better things happen when women have more money, when women have the capacity to, um, you know, use their money as like a vote within their government, use their money as a as an economic means to get out of poverty, um, use their money any way that they want. So better things happen when women are making more money and when we can like supply the means for them to, you know, be entrepreneurs and be an impactful part of the economy. Um, so I, I love that you bring that up. And that's that's such a great detailed point that like I think we need to be focusing more on when it comes to supporting women around the world. Yeah. And I like yeah. also, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say money makes the world go round. So yeah, if money in those who need it most, then it's going to obviously help them make decisions that will lead them out of bad circumstances. That's what I was going to say. And I guess kind of just to add on to kind of round out this uh, discussion is also the fact that you mentioned that you need to do it in a way that is culturally acceptable in that area. I think in the Western world, we are always um, 
I think that we have a different idea of what it means to empower a woman and what is acceptable in terms of woman empowerment compared to a lot of other cultures. And so to make sure that we're not just barging into a country and into a culture with our viewpoint, and this is what needs to be done, but actually taking a step back and understanding how can we fit in our ideas within what's already in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely something that I found when writing my thesis, and that was something I was very cognizant of because I was comparing the like primary Western nation in a lot of people's minds, the USA to South Korea, who's so different in their viewpoints historically. Um, it's much more like Confucian policies, which is or um, Confucian religion beliefs, is so much different than the very independent Western viewpoint that we see in the U.S. And that was something I really tried to make clear when writing this thesis is that it's not that they're doing is wrong. It's not that I'm saying that one culture is better than the other. Like, so for instance, South Korea, they have a similar rate of economic involvement with women across the board. So it's around like that 50% we see here. But for women in those high power positions, such as CEO or on the board, they're much, much lower than what we see here. Also in the US, it's lower than it should be. It's not near that parity. But, and that comes a lot from that Confucian belief system of the woman being much more um, important to the family and raising the family, and whereas the man is the one who leaves the house and brings in most of those financials. And that was something I wanted to make sure in my thesis was clear. It's not a bad thing that these women don't reach these levels of power. Obviously, across the board, that's something that we want for feminism. But if it's their choice, based on their culture that they want to stay at home mm-hmm. or just stay in a regular job and not reach that high level of power that may take away from their home life. That is absolutely their choice. And that is something that we, I think sometimes in feminism, we want to say, if you're not working, if you're not doing this, this, and this, you're not a true feminist. Whereas feminism is all about everyone having the equal opportunity and women having as much of an equal choice as men and, or those who can be perceived as men do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that looks different in every single uh, country, every single culture, every single, like, really small region. Um, Yeah, so the specifics of that are so important. I love that you bring that up. Uh, One thing I want to ask you before we transition to our next topic is, like, can you tell us a little bit about your time in Africa? Like, a little bit more, like, where where specifically did you go or um, what were you studying specifically there? So it was, it was a very short trip, unfortunately. I wish I could have stayed longer. Um, but it was a Maymester through the International Business Program when I was here for undergrad. So they do Maymesters fairly regularly um, to different areas focused on international business in that area. So uh, this was a trip I took with Dr. Rolf, one of our international business professors. Um, love him. He's very nice. It was with him and his wife. He's from that area. So he was able to give a different perspective there. Um, and we went to South Africa, Mozambique, and Swaziland. I do not remember the exact cities. We went to two or three different cities within South Africa, obviously the capital city, Johannesburg, and then we traveled as need be. But we saw um, the big corporations, especially in South Africa. So we went to a diamond mine and, and we talked to a gold mine, but we also talked to those more smaller, more community focused businesses like the basket weaving one that I'd spoken about. There's also we visited a candle making um, business in Iswatini, which also hired a great deal of women to produce those candles. They were amazing, smelled great. Um, but I think it was a good difference in perspective seeing those community based and how 
the um, people in those countries, in those communities are really trying to rise up and help build up the community from the grassroots versus those large corporations who a lot of times were made by colonizers. And Mm -hmm. even though they were much more of a Western influence coming in, they're having to change their stakeholder and shareholder perspectives, especially in those nations where sustainable development are becoming much more important um, in those African nations. I think that's actually a good uh, kind of pivoting point of talking about your non-business background. I know we mentioned briefly earlier about how your business helps your background and how you see it, but can you just talk a little bit more about how you decided to shift from uh, poli-sci into international business? Yeah, so it's really interesting how life works because I never expected First of all, I never expected to be getting a master's degree right out of undergrad. I was graduating USC, and I was like, I'm ready to get out of here, ready to go. I'm done with books. I'm going to go work. And then COVID-19 hit right at spring break. I just come home, and I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, everything's going wrong. And the job freeze happened. It wasn't happening as much in the private sector. A lot of people were losing their jobs, which is also horrible. But in the public sector, which I was going into, so government work, um, the development sector of the government, so that's USAID, um, and also nonprofits, just a freeze. They're going to be wow. feeling it a year, a year or two later, the effects of COVID-19. And I just couldn't break into it. And I was still working with my thesis director, Dr. Van Essen, who's the director of this program we're in, as you all know. Um, but he was really talking to me. He's like, I know this isn't what you wanted, but I think you really have a fit and this could really help you in the long run. I've seen your passion. I've read your thesis. I know you can do it. And I think that really helped me pivot into seeing business because I was kind of cynical towards business. I think that comes a lot from me working um in the government i think sometimes when you're so focused on public sector you get a little jaded about the private one um but i think that really helped me change a paradigm in my brain and see how business as i talked about before can really be something depending on you use it that can be really valuable to those who need it most yeah i love that you bring that up too because you know one of the the core things that Isha, KJ, and I wanted to get out of the Tell Me More podcast was just like promoting how like business can be a mechanism to do good and like spread spread change and like or make change um, and really be like impactful in an international sense. Uh, so I so I love that you bring that up because like I really think that is like at the heart of like what we're trying to do and that um, the people within the cohort are really like aligning with that as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love the fact that you don't come from a business background. I'm, I mean, I was a USC international business undergrad. So, I mean, I almost kind of in a little bubble of students that knew exactly what international business is. And I think sometimes it was hard to step out of that. So I love that you're able to bring your perspective and uh, all your knowledge into this program. And just one of the many things I love about our MIB cohort. Mm-hmm. Especially within like the consulting background, because you, you'd like to go into consulting. Is that right? I'd like to go into a version of consulting. I don't know that I want to do just straight management consulting, um, where it's just focused on those million dollar projects and helping those large businesses. I think what if I do work for one of those major management companies, which I absolutely am considering after graduation, after finishing my double degree, 
Um, I do want to more focus that on the nonprofit because most of them do have a nonprofit or governmental uh, section. Mm. So even if that's my primary focus, I'm fine working on those other projects, but I do want to still keep my bits, my passion towards that more nonprofit um, public sector that mm. I have worked in and I do genuinely still love. So I know you just mentioned your double degree. Can you kind of talk about how you came about Alto and how you decided to pursue um, a double degree? Did, were you planning on that coming in or how that happened? No, I was absolutely not planning on it coming in. Once again, I was like, I'm going to get this one degree and then maybe the job market will recover and I'll get out. But the more I read about the different universities and even from the get go, Alto was one that really was catching my eye. Um, but I think I misunderstood that they wanted business majors only, which they do not. Um, but I really started reading up about how much they're focused on sustainability and also design thinking, which in my mind is like consulting with an energy drink in your hands. Like it's like you're focusing on finding this strategy, but you're just so hyped up and just like going a million miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And then you just come back together and find like this really unique strategy that you never knew you could find. And just the idea of, getting that kind of energy and passion and putting myself towards sustainability and that development and human rights development with that sort of like energetic response. That was what really led me to Alto. Also, I've never been to Finland. So I was like, I got to see the Nordic countries. I got to go up there. I hate the cold, but I'll meet a reindeer and Santa Claus and I'll be happy, you know? <laughs> Or Norway. It's Norway, not Finland. Oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> it kind of, I, I understand where you're coming from, though. Like, I think uh, we're just now, like, at least in my mind, I'm just now, like, discovering that there are, like, like a lot of people who live there, and I, like, have never, like, focused on that before. Like, especially with the inter international business, like, how often do you focus on, like, places like Finland, um, Norway, and Sweden? Uh, so that, no, I or totally get you there. as well. You're, like, you just look up there and see their ranking. You're, like, you guys are doing okay. I, yes. We can, we can relax with you. We got to focus on some other areas where it's, it's a so little true. bit warmer. But I think what they're doing in kind of that school itself is was created to be very interdisciplinary, which is another thing that really led me there because they have an engineering background. They have information sciences, um, HR background, like they all came together to this really interdisciplinary business school. And because that's my background itself and choose what I really want to focus on and what will really funnel me towards my passion. That was why I ended up choosing Alto over the other great schools we have for a double degree. Mm -hmm. Just to expand. Just, oh, wait, you go ahead. You go ahead, Isha. I just want to say I love how you describe design thinking and <laughs> consulting with an energy, energy drink in your hand, because I think, honestly, if Professor Tegan heard that, I think she'd completely agree uh, based on what we've heard and how she's described it. It's amazing. And I just I had to say that, like, that was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of my follow-up remark, too. Like, um, to get more specific about design thinking, because in complete honesty, this is something that, like, was new to me going into the program, and it's something that is getting bigger within uh, Darla Moore's MIBS program, and I think probably the IMBA. Um, but could you, like, beyond uh, design thinking as, like, consulting with an energy drink, like, what are the goals of design thinking, in, in your opinion, and, like, how do you think it is different from uh, consulting? And like, why is it kind of more, well, fun, honestly, and creative? 
That's a great question for someone who has yet to take the design thinking course. <laughs> but from the outset, and what I hope, and I think design thinking might be one of those things that what you, the paradigm, the perspective you go into it with, that's what you're going to get out of it. I think that's true for a lot of courses, but I think for that one especially, because it is so, so it's everything at once is kind of how I'm picturing it. But I think what I'm most excited to learn from design thinking that's different from consulting is consulting can be very regimented. Um, all three of us have taken kind of a consulting course and it's very much like these are the slides that you work this amount of time just figuring out your data. You work this amount of time building your slide deck and the solution and then you just deliver it. Whereas design thinking, I know the course we'll be taking will be a sprint, so it's probably a little bit more condensed than a lot of design thinking projects projects would be. But it's much more like, okay, let's brainstorm, figure out every possible solution we can ever think of that might fit this problem. And then we'll come together and we'll figure out the best one. It's essentially like cream rising to the top or falling to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And from that, you really get a very unique perspective because in the very beginning, you're not shooting anything down. I think a good, I've seen the video of IDEO. They just take every, every possible thing on that wall and they just say, okay, that's, that's a solution. It might be absolutely bonkers, but we're going to take it. And I think just that difference of perspective allows people to just open their mind and kind of release their inhibitions that may have present, presented themselves in a more regimented environment, mm -hmm. such as what we see in consulting and really any business environment there, every company kind of sets up a very, a, a box per se mm -hmm. that you kind of have to break out of. And I think design thinking is one way to do that. Absolutely. Just to kind of jump in here too. I was actually a part of a design thinking project and for a client, we needed to figure out how to get an online community um, set up and running. And I remember design thinking has one of these techniques or uh, essentially like a game, if you want to think about it, where you look at the most positive aspect and like, what is the best thing that you can reward someone with? And what is the worst thing you can do? Like the absolute worst. And it was like, if someone liked a comment or engaged in someone's post on this feed, we're going to send flowers to them. You know, like that is the best thing, you know, that's a reward. And the worst thing was <laughs> every time someone likes, you know, what's the most negative? Oh, we're going to send like that photo to their mom or like replay their most embarrassing moment on Times Square. You know, so I think like that's what I exactly, you put it correctly, Aiden, regimented, how regimented consulting is versus kind of how free uh, design thinking is. And so I absolutely agree with you there. Yeah. So one of the last uh, topics or the things that you wanted to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, is being a remote student uh, right now during COVID. And so you're in, you're in Tennessee, right? Yes. Yes. I am. So I'm a little, I'm near Knoxville. If mm -hmm. anyone listening cares or knows where that is, that's where I am. <laughs> if you're in Knoxville, um, uh, send Aiden a text and let her know. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what, what has that been like for you? Because, um, I'm sure there are people listening who like her, who are also remote students. And like, what do you think has been the biggest challenge and what have you learned as, uh, like being a remote student right now during COVID? I think there's positive and negatives to it. I think one of the positives is just you are always in your office kind of. Um, so you're never having to worry about like, oh, I can't focus here. I have to go to the library. You just kind of realize you can focus anywhere, which is really something I've always kind of known. 
since I didn't put this in my bio because I didn't realize it was relevant, but I'll talk about it now. Um, I was homeschooled K through 12. So I already did a lot of school from home. So I had to learn how to be that self-sufficient self-starter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I know a lot of people don't have that background. Even people who are homeschooled don't have that ability to kind of just be like, oh, I need to get this done and then just start working on it. They have to have that regimented school environment, which I think even though a lot of us do have classes online where we are watching at a specific time, it's so easy just to turn your camera off and start playing on your phone. Or even when your camera's on, a lot of the times the professor isn't watching the 50 people in that course to make sure you're all paying attention. Um, And that's one of the biggest challenges is trying to maintain that focus throughout those classes, especially like, I went to USC for all four years. I was always in class. That's really, I really enjoyed learning that way because it did give you that interaction with both the students and the professor. And that's one of the biggest frustrations I think I'm experiencing in this COVID-19 remote world is you have, it's so much harder to kind of connect with those professors. And it's so many more steps than just staying a little bit later after class. It's an email, it's another, um, it's another Zoom call. It's another like Google Classroom or and we're normally on Zoom, but it's another video chat. And I think you just become so overwhelmed with video chats, just having this, I sit at this desk every day. My dogs annoy me and you go outside and I just, it's hard to refocus your mind to kind of be just sitting in that one space when you're yeah. craving that human interaction. I'm also, I'm 100% remote as well, so I completely understand that. And for me, one of the struggles I faced is that I'm actually getting kind of sick of my four blue walls, but I don't have anywhere else to go. I can go down to my living room, but um, our living room and connection, our living room and kitchen are connected. It's an open floor plan. So, you know, like then I'm distracted by whoever's in the kitchen or if my little sister wants to hang out with me or if my dad's on a phone call. And so my four blue walls are both like a blessing and a curse because I can completely concentrate, but it's also the only place I can concentrate. Mm-hmm. So. I think I've been like encouraged with like the resiliency of like students during COVID because um, there are obviously so many students who are like struggling right now as well, like within their own fa- like home life and things like that. Um, I think our cohort has been really good with just like keeping in constant communication with each other. And like, I will give us kudos that we really have like bridged the gap between each other and communicating and feeling like, even though we haven't met in person, like Isha and I have even met in person and we're hosting a podcast <laughs> together. Um, I did get to meet you, Aiden, which is great, but, um, yes, yeah. you know, it's, it's nice to see like the humanity that's come out of it. I should say, um, and I think that's something that's afforded to us a lot more because we kind of are that tech technology generation. Yeah. I know there are s- several older people in our cohort, like you guys have spoken to Mo, obviously. He's like our <laughs> uncle dad of the cohort. But I think that that has helped us a lot. And I think that's really for those in the older generations for us. I think that was a big, much bigger struggle than for us because we we can figure out how to use Zoom or Skype. Like, that's no issue for us. Um, but I really do believe that we, there is something missing out when you're lacking that human interaction. Yeah. Um, that face-to-face, look you in your eye. Um, I just, I wanted to be over. I want to be able to hang out with y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think uh, eye to eye contact versus eye to camera contact uh, is kind of where I've been struggling because like I'm looking at your face but I can't look you in the eye because I have to look at the camera uh, mm -hmm. so I agree I think I want it to be over and I I'm waiting for the day I can meet our cohort in person yeah for sure yeah I agree hopefully that'll be really soon um but I think we're kind of nearing the end of time but uh so unless you have another question Isra I think we're gonna wrap it up um I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, yeah. Aiden, for coming on. I love how it was it was no it was really broad and we were able to hit on like so many different um things that you're passionate about and um I mean incredible things that you've accomplished and like places that you've been. So thank you so much, Aiden, for joining us. I'm really excited that we were able to have you on and, and discuss so thoroughly about feminism and all the all the good topics I think Isha and I both love. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's really nice being able to connect with other powerful women who understands kind of the the struggles of going into essentially a male-dominated industry yeah. and kind of how how we all have to go in with this really strong passion and drive and that motivates us and that's good it is good. good we keep it and we're gonna destroy the exactly. men <laughs> run the world, we're, gonna, right? we're gonna become equal to the men equal to the men that's what we're driving for. it's gonna happen it's gonna happen by the end of the year right we're gonna solve all of these problems by the end of the year <laughs> yep yep six weeks guys i i believe in us I six weeks is nothing right no yeah it's not like we've been trying it for a hundred years more more than a hundred years in the u.s we at least got right to vote a hundred years ago awesome well, thank you guys, um, and I look forward to talking to you guys in the in the next uh, class, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tell Me More podcast. We hope this conversation brought a new perspective to international business and encourages you to more thoughtfully engage with the world around you. If you'd like to find out more about us, leave feedback, and get in contact, visit us on Instagram at Tell Me More Podcast. You can also find more episodes on Spotify and all major streaming platforms. But in the meantime, be good, do good, and we'll talk soon.